I invite you to take your copies of God's Word and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, our sermon text this morning is indeed the first half of John 10. And then this evening, if you come back, you'll hear uh, a sermon on the remainder of this chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. A little bit longer reading this morning, but as you turn there, let me just say what a joy it is to be with you this morning. I have known your pastor for many years. I'm so thankful for him, not only his service to you here, uh, but to our broader denomination. And it's a joy to get to know many of you in this short visit I have. Uh, As we turn our attention to God's Word, I ask that you would please stand as I read uh, from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. And as I read, uh, please remember that this is God's holy and inspired and inerrant Word written for you and for me this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. Please be seated. And let us go to our Father in heaven as we ask for his help as we consider his word together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a great and awesome privilege it is to gather before you and to open your word, to call out to you by the power of the Spirit given to us from Christ in heaven. Father, let us know him, let us see him, let us treasure him as the good and faithful shepherd. We pray that even this morning he would rescue and gather and 
bind up and strengthen his sheep. Let him feed us and be our shepherd. For as he said of himself, he is gentle and lowly in heart. And in him we find rest for our souls. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Bible is an enculturated book. The Bible was written over many centuries in particular times and places, and understandably then, the Bible reflects the cultures of those times. None of this denies the fact that the Bible is at the same time inspired by God, breathed out by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that every word is true and relevant and sufficient for Christians living, say, in South Carolina in 2023. Even so, uh, Christians in South Carolina in 2023 sometimes need to work extra hard to understand the imagery and the enculturated meaning of certain parts of Scripture, and that is certainly true this morning. I would imagine we're, we're kind of a wide variety of people and ages. I would imagine that if we pooled our experiences of just the people in this room We would have a lot of knowledge, but we would probably be a little thin on the details of first century sheep farming in the Middle East. And yet that is precisely what fills our text this morning, that imagery as it teaches us about Jesus. Notice as we read the text together, there's no real narrative here. It's it's not even a real dialogue except at the very end. Rather, the first half of John chapter 10 is is one long metaphor uh, from the lips of our Lord, one extended illustration. Verse 6 calls it a figure of speech, and it's all drawing on on sheep farming in Israel. Uh, So this morning, we're going to have to get into that old world. But here's the thing. As we we dive into that world, we're going to discover that, that what the Scriptures tell us about who Jesus is and how He relates to his people is wonderful. Indeed, the the truth about how Christ relates to his people, whom the Scriptures characterize as sheep, is as fresh and as relevant today as the day when these words were first spoken and written. I want to look with you at this text along four points. And before we get started, let me say I'm indebted to uh, the New Testament scholar, Don Carson, who's an expert in the writings of of John and this gospel. He makes wonderful comments on this passage in his commentary, and it'll influence a number of comments I'll make this morning. But as you listen, I want you to consider what Jesus says about himself, and then I want you to think personally about how each point applies to you. Four things from this text that we learn about Jesus and his sheep. The first thing is that Jesus is known by his sheep. He is known by his sheep. Now, let's, let's think first about sheep farming in the ancient world. In that day, typically, sheep would be held in a, in a walled enclosure uh, to protect them from external threats. This enclosure, this sheepfold, uh, was often attached to a home, but larger ones could be out in a field. In fact, larger ones could contain multiple flocks belonging to different families who would pool their resources and keep their flocks together at night. And oftentimes, these families would hire a watchman 
a gatekeeper who would stand at the gate, especially at night, to protect these flocks from the threat of animals and other, other predators. And then in the morning, this, this watchman uh, with sleepy eyes would, would keep watch in the early hours as the shepherds of each flock would then come to the enclosure and lead their particular flock out to pasture. As the shepherds would come, this watchman would recognize the rightful shepherds of each flock and open the gate to the enclosure only to them. Now, again, you might have seen a, a documentary on TV about, about rounding up sheep, say, in Scotland, using a dog from behind, or maybe in my home state of Texas, a cattle drive uh, where, where a rancher's on horseback moving the cattle, but that's not the way it happened in the ancient Middle East. No, in that day, each shepherd would come and would have a distinct call that the, that the flock that belonged to him would recognize. A call that I will not be replicating for you this morning. Uh, But imagine three to four flocks kept together in a walled enclosure and a single shepherd comes and he gives the particular call and only his sheep, recognizing that call, follow him out to pasture. This is what Jesus is talking about, isn't he? He's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd knows them. Notice, they, he knows them by name, and, and they know him. Verse 4 says they, they know his voice. And this knowledge, this heeding of the voice protects them. It makes them discerning. Notice verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Isn't this a wonderful picture of the way salvation works? Out into the cacophony of the world, where so many voices are calling, where countless thieves seek to steal, and strangers are issuing their call. Out into that cacophony, the gospel goes out. And for so many in our day, of course, the the revelation of God in the gospel gets dismissed as an utter waste of time, as complete foolishness. But Scripture tells us that when God uses His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring His own to spiritual life from the dead, the instinctive response of the human heart is a recognition of the voice of our Savior. It is, a, it is a belief, an exercise of saving faith, which is the gift of God, which lays hold of Christ and follows Him. God is the one who enables us to recognize the voice of our Savior as His voice stands out for what it is, as the true and different and powerful voice that can save our lives. I wonder if you've ever come to church here and, and something like that has happened to you. You've been listening to your pastor preach the Word. And suddenly you begin to think to yourself, something different is going on here. Something is making my heart rise up within me. Sometimes I want to stand up and cheer. And God Himself is awakening you to the voice of Jesus Christ 
He's enabling you to see with eyes of faith the glory of your Savior so that you can look at Him and you can say, yes, you have promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. You have mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse, and power to free. Jesus is saying all of this using this metaphor about about the way salvation works. But notice Jesus is saying something more here as well. He's not only describing this internal call of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit into union with Christ through faith, Jesus here is also drawing a contrast between Himself and the neglectful, even the devious rulers and leaders of Israel. That's actually what the sheepfold is here in the early verses of John 10. The sheepfold is Judaism. It is Israel. The nation that God had set apart for Himself, but the nation that had suffered long under terrible and even rebellious shepherds and watchmen. I want to read to you just a few Old Testament passages that speak to this point and pick up on this theme. Consider, for example, Jeremiah 23. God says this, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Or, or we could go to Isaiah chapter 56. God says, all you beasts of the field, come to devour all you beasts in the forest. He, he's saying through Isaiah, it's open season on the flock of God. Why? His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to their own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. Well, who are these watchmen? Who are these false, rebellious, lazy shepherds? Well, primarily they are the false prophets in Israel. The prophets who had twisted God's Word, who had ignored God's warnings about judgment, about the need for repentance. Now, of course, there were faithful prophets as well who called the nation back to the Lord and out of sin. But God is rebuking the false prophets here, those those that had left His people exposed to foreign armies and the threat of exile. And God is telling them through these passages, you're all strangers, not shepherds. You're thieves, not watchmen. And Jesus is picking up on all of these Old Testament themes, and He's coming along as if to say, I am different. I am the one who knows the sheep, who loves the sheep, and the sheep know me. Well, if there's any Old Testament passage behind this text, there is one more to mention, and it is from Ezekiel chapter 34. It begins as the other Old Testament passages that we just looked at begin. Let me read it to you from Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, 
You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. Now listen to what God says next. Listen to what he says he will do. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. And God goes on and on again. And the first person pronoun is repeated again and again. God says, I will bring them out from the peoples. I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. Oh, all this informs our reading of John chapter 10, doesn't it? Because when Jesus positions himself as the shepherd of the sheep in verse 2, the one who knows his sheep and is known by his sheep, he is saying that he is the one who fulfills these Old Testament promises of God. He is not just a shepherd. He's saying he is the shepherd. He is the divine Messiah who has come to fulfill the Old Testament longing for the true shepherd of the sheep to finally come and rescue them. And of course, verse 6 tells us that his hearers didn't grasp the depth of what he was saying. And so Jesus moves on and he shifts the illustration a little bit. He doesn't let go of it, but he shifts it. And we learn a second thing. Not only is Jesus known by his sheep, but Jesus cares for his sheep. He begins by saying in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Well, what does he mean exactly? Again, we have to go back to Middle Eastern sheep farming. Now we are away from the sheepfold, and the shepherd is way out in the field with his flock. Now, the faithful shepherd in that condition as night began to fall would, would typically construct a makeshift enclosure, maybe a fold of branches, maybe using the side of a rock wall. But he would also leave an opening for the sheep to go in. And at night, the faithful shepherd would actually lie down himself in the gap. So as Carson puts it, he would be both shepherd and door. Notice, according to this illustration, there is only one door. Jesus is saying He is that door. He is the only door. And you must come to God through Him or you cannot come at all. But as you come to the living God through Jesus Christ, notice the kind of care that He gives to His sheep. It is exclusive. It is unique. He says in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Oh, Jesus is making the meaning of this illustration a little more explicit, but, but again, he's not letting go of the illustration. What does that language, going in and out and find pasture, mean? 
That's the language of security. It's the language of abundance. It's the language of full supply. This is what Jesus says He gives when He reconciles sinners to to Himself through His blood and gives them life by His resurrection from the dead. And just as Ezekiel 34 stood behind the earlier verses, when Jesus speaks of His people going in and out and finding pasture, there's a likelihood that that the Old Testament text behind this is, is from Numbers 27. In Numbers 27, 16, and 17, we hear Moses praying a prayer to God. And this is what it says. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. I want you to think personally about this for a moment. Do you have a sense this morning of the unique and personal and exclusive and abundant care that Jesus has given to you if you know Him? Maybe this beginning of a new year is an occasion to remember all the ways that He's cared for you just in the past year. He gives you forgiveness of all of your sins. His Word sustains you in times of sorrow. He preserves you. He he gives you a church to love. He gives you a spirit to indwell you and guide you. He's given you unexpected provision of life and health. No doubt many of you have faced many trials. Some of you have faced trials that you would never have imagined could have come into your life. Is it not true that you can say at the beginning of this year, you can say of Christ, He's never betrayed me. He's never left me. He's been my faithful friend. He's been my Savior all of my days. And I know that, that when I die, He will keep me and bring me to Himself. Jesus goes on and he, he says the choice to know this care by following Him or to follow any other religion or purveyor of false teaching, that choice could not be more stark. He says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we ask, who, who are these who steal and kill and destroy today? I think the answer is everything and everyone who denies Christ and His gospel. It could be false religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, a liberal or modern so-called Christianity, secular saviors, politicians, cults, heresies. It could be addictions. It could be sinful fantasies and escapes. It could be the the siren call of expressive individualism where the the final goal of life is simply to find inward psychological satisfaction even if it means denying reality. And Jesus is saying all of these things destroy you. And He's saying that there are people, tragically, there, there are people even within the church who do not care whether they degrade and exploit you but are actually willing agents of it. You can think of anyone who presents to you an anti-Christian view of human nature or the human good or human salvation or human destiny or human dignity. You can think of corrupt leaders, dictators, 
the Stalins, the Maos, the Putins of the world, the swindlers, the prosperity preachers, ideologues and heretics. What a humbling word this is to leaders in the church as well. The theme of shepherding sheep is strong in the New Testament. The very word pastor means shepherd. And Peter picks up on this theme as he he writes in 1 Peter 5, and he tells the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. John Calvin gets it right. He says, quote, They alone are good shepherds who lead men straight to Christ. Leon Morris also adds, quote, All who seek to bring life to others but who do not themselves enter life through Christ, stand condemned. This doesn't mean you can't learn from people. This doesn't mean you can't have a boss or a mentor who can teach you. But you dare not let them lead you. You dare not take their offer of life if it comes apart from Christ. Because the life that Jesus gives is unique and abundant and flows directly from Him to us. And it comes to us by way of a third thing that we learn in our passage this morning. Not only is Jesus known by his sheep, not only does he care for his sheep, but third, he says, Jesus dies for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, already we've seen what what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd knows his sheep. A good shepherd calls his sheep. He leads them. He protects them. He provides for them. He's not in it for the money. He doesn't exploit the sheep for selfish gain. So when we read in verse 12 that a good shepherd is not like a hired hand who runs when he sees the wolf coming, we might think that that Jesus is simply saying, I'm not like that. I, I am like a good shepherd who is willing to risk his life in the face of danger on behalf of my sheep. We might think that he's saying he's, he's like a young David before he became king, young shepherd boy who, who stood his ground when the bear or the lion approached and risked his life to save his sheep. Jesus is like that. He's a good shepherd who is prepared to give his life in the face of danger. But, of course, we know that Jesus is saying something more. Jesus is taking this illustration of what a good shepherd does, and he's stretching it. And he's almost breaking the illustration itself. Because Jesus wants us to know he's not only willing to risk his life for his sheep, But Jesus actually intentionally lays down his life for his sheep. And he does it not to leave his sheep to the the whims of other animals. No, he, he lays down his sheep so that they can be his sheep. So that they can know him. So that he can give his care to them. 
This is why he says that his father has given him this charge, that with absolute control, Jesus lays down his own life so that, verse 17, he might take it up again. You see, friends, this is how Jesus exercises his, his sovereign goodness as our shepherd. This is, the way, this is the way a sinner becomes a member of his flock. Jesus Christ rescues us from the clutches of sin and Satan and darkness and death by laying down his life and taking it up again. As Isaiah 53 puts it, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what makes Jesus not, not a good shepherd, but, as Carson puts it, the good shepherd. He is the only one who could do this. He, he is the only one who could lay down his life and take it up again because, because he's the only divine son of God who represents us in the flesh. And in verse 16, he says he has other sheep that he must bring. And, and so if the, if the first sheepfold was Judaism, Israel, Jesus says there's a wider sheepfold that embraces the whole world. He says there are, there are essentially non-Jews, Gentiles, a countless multitude who are bought and paid for. And Jesus is now bringing them into union with himself. So that as verse 16 says, there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you in it? Are you in the flock of Jesus? Do you, do you hear his voice? Have you come through the door? Are you following him? Can, can you say at the beginning of 2023 that the dying and rising of Jesus has made a difference in your life? Jesus is known by his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep. Jesus dies for his sheep. And then fourth and finally, we learn Jesus changes his sheep. In verses 19 to 21, the the Jews who are listening to Jesus, and this happens again and again in the Gospel of John, the Jews uh, know all about sheep farming, but, but they don't know him, at least not yet. And in response, there is a division among the Jews. We read many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, with that final question, we are reminded that John chapter 10 follows John chapter 9. And if you were to go back and reread John chapter 9, you would know that this is the account of Jesus' healing of a man who was blind from birth. And Jesus calls him to anoint his eyes with the water. Jesus puts mud on his eyes, calls him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then in the middle of the chapter, Jesus sort of falls out from view. And what we see is this blind man going through this crucible of persecution and abuse from the Pharisees of the day. They even haul in the man's parents and seek to question whether he was, in fact, blind from birth. And sadly, his parents kind of throw him under the bus right there in the middle of the chapter. The Pharisees mock and accuse him. They sought to steal and destroy. They sought to deny and abuse this man. They're doing everything that Jesus is saying the false shepherds of Israel have done. 
But at the end of chapter 9, we see these wonderful words. It says, Jesus, having found him outside the temple, Jesus finds him and he speaks to him. And having given the man physical sight, Jesus then grants to the man spiritual sight. Because we read in the final verses, Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Well, this is a wonderful theme in the Gospel of John, isn't it? That, that Jesus changes those who follow him. As many called Jesus insane and others questioned him all the while throughout his earthly ministry, and even today, Jesus has been busy caring, calling, saving, and changing his sheep. The blind man from birth was changed in John chapter 9 as Jesus found him and as he heard Jesus' voice. Back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is changed when Jesus speaks to him about being born from above. The Samaritan woman in John 4 is changed as Jesus speaks to her about the living water that he can give her. The very next chapter in John, we're going to see Lazarus gets changed dramatically as Jesus approaches his tomb. Well, what about you this morning? I love how Carson describes the church. He says, he says, the church of Jesus is not like a club that you get recruited into, where, where everything just sort of stays the same and you're simply united by pre-existing interests. No, the church is instead an assembly of supernaturally transformed sinners, people who have been transformed and people who are still being transformed by the grace and patience and love of God. The church is, we might say, like a sheepfold with helpless, wandering sheep, but sheep who have been called out, sought out, led out, saved, and who are being sanctified by the grace and power of Jesus, who are being kept forever, even into eternity, those known by Christ, cared for by Christ, bought with the blood of Christ, who are being sanctified by His life through the Spirit. May 2023 make us all into a people who day by day can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but my good shepherd has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious shepherd, the King of kings and Lord of lords who has taken our sin upon himself and who has been raised triumphant in imperishable glory. We thank you that even now he he imparts the glory of His resurrection life to our hearts that we might know Him and hear Him and follow Him and be transformed into His image. Father, would You do this glorious work day by day until one day we see Him with glorified eyes. For we pray this in His strong and saving name.